Two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, Phil shared about encountering and responding to God, how that is very much at the heart of what we want to be, what we want to value at this church. Um, if anything, we want to be people who take our faith seriously, um, who see um, our relationship with God, not just merely as this, you know, as this label or as this kind of abstract belief that we just hold somewhere in our heads that doesn't really affect our lives. We really believe in encountering, experiencing God, coming to know him personally, relationally, being changed by him and living out in action. Um, that's very core to who we are as a church. How do we explain God? Bill talked about that. And then last week, Michael talked about how the context of that is in our everyday lives. It's not just on Sundays, it's not just in religious acts. And look at this mission statement. I highlighted the word are um, because it's implicit in there. <laughs> um, it's not explicit there, but it's a huge aspect. And it's implicit in all this is that we encounter and respond to God together as, um, together as a community. There's this like famous quote from somebody who, who said that, you know, sometimes people think of church as just, you know, an accidental convergence of just individuals who just practice in their own hermetically sealed compartments, their own privately, private devotional exercises, you know, and that's somehow how, you know, how a lot of people can see church just like, okay, we're just, yeah, we're just happen to be here and it's just me and God and, you know, I don't know why you're here, but that's just, <laughs> that's what I'm here for, you know. And that's, that's not what we view um, community as this kind of just add on as a sort of like, okay, well, it's just, I guess it's a thing, you know, but integral to what we care about, what we are, and integral, integral to this idea of encounter and responding to God. So that's what we're going to talk about today, why it matters, and how do we encounter and respond to God in community? So that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, I want to just... Ooh, my, thing isn't working here he is okay what i want to do is i'm going to try to use the clicker here okay it's working okay i want to first just give us a vision of what christian community is and what it can be and i want to talk about how it can be practiced and how it can be shared so a vision of christian community um, because oftentimes we in order to properly practice anything we have to have the right vision we have to right, have the right perspective of what church really is and I think that the concept of church, of Christian community, is probably like one of the most misunderstood things in modern America today, right? Especially among people who aren't Christian. <laughs> if you go around and talk to people who aren't Christian and be like, what is church? Uh, you probably get it's a Sunday service that you go to. <laughs> it's somewhere that you go to. It's a building somewhere you go to, you listen to somebody talk about the Bible, you know, like me right now. <laughs> and then and then you leave, right? Um, and so many people treat church this way, which is why people get so bored of church, right? Because if your idea of church is just, I come somewhere to just hear some stuff and then I leave, eventually you're not gonna be able to hear anything new, <laughs> right? Eventually you're gonna run out of stuff and you're gonna be like, okay, I've, I've literally heard this like 5 million times before because the Bible doesn't have, you know, that much new stuff that's like constantly like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot about, if you've noticed, similar themes, similar messages, similar ideas, right? And so if, if coming to church is just about hearing an empowering message or something that is new or exciting or learning, well, very quickly, we're going to 
you know, we're going to get bored <laughs> and we're going to just, and you hear people like that, just like, oh, you know, I don't really understand why, you know, I need to go to church anymore because honestly, about 10 years ago, I feel like I've heard everything that there is, there is to hear. And you hear a lot of people who talk about it that way. Or perhaps there's this kind of conception of church being like primarily a social club, you know, that Christians, they, they have faith, they believe in God, that's great, you know, but so, you know, church is just like, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like a biker's club or something, people who like biking, you know, they all, you know, and then Christians like, oh, they, you know, they have the same faith, so they just hang out together, and it, you know, the faith, and none of that really affects sort of why they hang out, or, and so you have a lot of these kind of perspectives of sort of just like, well, you know, there isn't any church that I'm kind of vibing with socially. There isn't any kind of church that I feel like I really, you know, just, you know, where personalities get along. So that's, it's okay. You know, maybe I'll just practice my own private devotional exercise. Walk with God individually by myself. And I won't really, you know, there's no, no, there's no need to go to church, to be a part of a church, Right. Well, I want to challenge that today because I feel like that is very, very, very far from the biblical idea of what a church is, not as this kind of optional add-on, not as this kind of social community or this place to go and learn about stuff, but as this, as we're going to see, as this, this place where, this is kind of how I'm going to define it for us today, as this preview of future heaven on earth the kingdom of God to come. The church is powerful, not because of just functionally what it is, you know, how it happens or what it is, but because of its identity, um, because of what God has made it to be, which is why future heaven on earth. What does that look like? And what does that mean? And where am I even getting that necessarily from scripture, right? We'll talk about that. I want to start at the end. Um, because a lot of times I think Christians, we, we just lose sight, you know, in, in the daily life about what everything is going towards, what God is actually working towards. If you start a paper, you know, you hopefully know what your thesis is about. You hopefully know where you're trying to get to, you know, and just kind of ramble on, you know. So the, it's important when constructing an idea of a theology of understanding the church, we have to understand what is God doing even in history and what is God even trying to do with church? On well, Revelation 22, um, I believe it is 22, <laughs> 21. I didn't even put the verse up. Um, you guys can fact check me on that. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So what is God trying to accomplish throughout all of history is he's moving towards this picture, right? He's moving towards this picture of a renewed heaven and a renewed earth where there's no suffering, there's no death, there's no envy or jealousy, there's no violence, where everything on earth and in heaven is exactly according to what God originally and wanted and purposed things to be, which was to be good, to be fruitful, to be glorious, 
that is, I mean, it sounds too good to be true, right? <laughs> and for me, I can't even conceive of a non-broken world, right? Well, that's, that's what God's accomplishing. He is renewing. He's in this process. He's going to be bringing about that. And that's also what we ought to be looking forward to as Christians as the concept of heaven. I think a lot of times we have a misconception of heaven as this kind of floaty spiritual place that you go to after you die, you know, where you may be playing a harp on a cloud or something, <laughs> I don't, you know, or it's just this kind of, we don't think of heaven as, you know, an earth of this new reality that God is creating as very physical, as real, you know, as physical as this podium or as this place that we are. You know, when, when the Bible talks about heaven and earth, it doesn't talk about just this disembodied sort of like just floating in some great consciousness somewhere, you know, kind of it. It talks about everything that we're experiencing now, except made perfect, except made renewed. I like how in this motif comes up a lot in scripture. In Isaiah, you know, well before this, right in the middle of the Bible, you know, Isaiah has this vision and this is, this is chapter 25, 25. It says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. How interesting is it that for Isaiah, the way he describes heaven and he describes this new kingdom, this new redemption that God's going to come as a feast. I love that idea as a feast because we can all get behind that. We can all, we've all had a feast before. You have like potluck and there's like a lot of food and it's just good. And you're just eating and it's just like, mm, you know, like that's what he's talking about. You know, it's, it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be good. It's going to be real, physical, right? And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will, again, will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. What does it mean that he'll swallow up he'll, this covering? Well, he's going to do away with that veil, that separation that separates heaven where God is and earth where we can't see God and we're separated from him. You know, one day he's going to bring about this new reality where heaven and earth intersect, where God's presence, as we read about in Revelation, is on earth, dwelling with us, where we're going to literally be able to, in some way, this blows my mind, see God, like not just by faith, you know, but like he's going to be walking around and, I don't know, glowing, because <laughs> he's God, you know, I don't know, radiant, you know, you know, and we're just going to be in his presence that is the picture of heaven. And that's the picture of what the Bible says we're moving towards. I mean, I know it's so hard to believe that, but that is what scripture says. It's the best possible ending you could possibly think of. Now, what about church? Oops. Okay. Well, the way that the Bible pictures church is that church, I think in some ways, is a preview of this thing to come. It's a very broken preview. It's definitely not a perfect preview of this. But look at how 1 Peter 2 talks about it. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here, Peter is describing what the church is. He's using some of the language about Israel. And he's saying, man, this, you are the people of God, the place where God's presence dwells, where God is known, where God lives among. Already in the church, there is a little bit of this renewed heaven and earth breaking through. In Ephesians, and this is going to be one of the texts that we're going to look at a lot in this sermon, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of possible prophets, Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What is a temple? A temple is a place where you encounter God. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And don't miss that connection to what revelation we just read, where God says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Here it says, in church, in the community of God, God himself is dwelling. It's a temple. It's a place where his presence is encountered, where his spirit is active. And of course, it doesn't always look like that. I'm not by any means saying that, you know, churches, you know, it's, there's a lot of dirt to, you know, covering that. But by identity, the church is something functionally just so different than any other organization on earth. One of the marks of what this was, when you look at the old church, when you look at the church in Acts, was this idea of heaven, right, previewed in this community. And one of those really cool aspects that you got to see in this community that just wowed and was so, you know, controversial and also so radical for the day was the idea of a unity that supersedes all other identities. In Colossians, it says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in it all. The early church recognized that there is a greater and a deeper identity that pulled them together, despite all these, frankly, pretty jarring differences, you know, and allowed them to have this incredible unity. I was reading this book one time that kind of imagined what the early church would be like, and you know, had this, it was like this imaginary piece of fiction that just talked about like, you know, this person who, how would this, this person, you know, who's like this biblical name in the Bible, how he might've come to Christ. That's worse. <laughs> how he might to come to believe. And, and a lot of it, a lot of why he was convinced was because he attended this church gathering. And as he got to know this church gathering, he was just floored by what it was. I want to give you a picture of what you would have encountered if you had gone to one of these meetings, you know, as this, perhaps he was like this nobleman who had attended this meeting. You would have seen a group of people in a, in a, in a time where things were heavily segregated by race and by social economic class, you know, complete removal of all those things. You would have seen masters washing their servants' feet. And that would have just been like crazy <laughs> to think about. You know, you would have seen like, you know, outside their masters and servants, but at the gathering, you know, in the church, their brothers and sisters, and you see everyone's taking turns serving. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a nobleman. It doesn't matter if you're a slave. It doesn't matter what status you are. Everyone's taking turns washing the dishes. You know, everyone's caring for each other. Everyone's serving. Hey, you know, let me, let me get you some fruit. You know, you look hungry or whatever. Let me get you some bread. I'll pass the ketchup. I don't know, whatever. They didn't have ketchup, right? There wasn't this ordered sense that everyone was so familiar with. Not only that, but you would see diverse races that, I mean, they were, you know, Scythian, Greek, Jew, like he's, he's really highlighting some of the, you know, disparate kind of ends of people. You see those people eating together at a table, you know, trying to, trying to, just get to know and try to fellowship together. I mean, I'm just trying to think about how awkward, how confusing and how difficult that would have been, but how incredible it would have seen that such people of such completely different places 
you know, meeting together, eating together. And, you know, in, in the story of that book, the guy is just so floored by it. He's even offended by it, right? And that's also one of the reasons why the church was persecuted in the beginning was it was a little considered a little too radical. Like, okay, that's, you're, gonna, you're breaking down some of the social orders that hold our society together. So it's, it's a little too much, you know. But that's kind of the picture of what the ancient church looked like. I think when I think about for us, I mean, we don't, we don't have, <laughs> I don't, we don't have something as dramatic as that, but I think about some of the people I've gone to know in church. I think about, would I be friends with all of them if I weren't Christian and there wasn't a church? And I'm pretty sure the answer is no, <laughs> because I mean, there's some people I naturally could have gravitated to, but there are some people I'm just like, man, we have opposite personalities. Like we really like, and, and sometimes we piss each other off. Just being completely real, you know? I think about this is a picture. I was trying to find a picture of our V staff, but this is an older picture, you know, of a retreat we went on at some point. And I think about like some of these people that I call some of my closest friends now, you know, some people like, like Richard, who I, I served with for six years. I guarantee you, I would not have been friends with Richard. <laughs> I was just being real. And he would say the same thing, you know? We, you know, we're, we're very different interests, different people, different kinds of ideas of relationships and things. You know, I think about my sophomore accountability group. You know, it's me, Richard, and a guy named Tony Bai. You know, we, we did not get along personality-wise, but we stuck together. And we're like, you know what? We're doing this accountability group thing together. Okay, so we're going to just do this, you know? And we just met together every week. And what was so amazing to me, you know, it's, this is just, you know, this is not as amazing as the early church in terms of the, the, what they overcame in terms of their differences. But to me, I still see this, you know, in Stepping Stone, I still see this in my personal experiences, was I saw an overcoming of that. I saw a superseding of our identity, right? Because we were brothers together who were trying to pursue Jesus, and we had no idea what that even meant. So we're like, all right, let's just meet together and talk about what's going on in our lives and confess our sins and and complain and you know and we're just trying to figure things out you know and in the process i think we forged and we developed a deeper bond than perhaps i've ever had with anybody else right some of these relationships that i've had with church are some of the deepest and most treasured relationships i've had and i think will ever have and all of that i think comes down to this this identity that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Phil once said, I think he said this in a town hall meeting, he said, you get to choose your friends, right? It's largely easy to be friends with people that you actually hang out with because it's self-selective, right? You don't hang out with people you don't like. You know, when you like them, you hang out with them. You get to choose your friends, but you don't get to choose your family, right? You don't get to choose your family. And sometimes they drive you nuts. And sometimes you hate them, right? But you still love them but they still matter to you and you still care about them no matter what because of the identity of who you guys are because you're family. It's the same thing with church. Church is not a group of people who like each other hanging out. Church is a group of people who are bonded together by the blood of Christ. And because of that, we have this power and this responsibility and this call to love one another radically as a family. So I think going back to a vision for Christian community, what is Christian community? Not a service that we attend, not just this or that, but a preview of future heaven on earth, a preview of 
renewed redemption, you know, of races getting along, of people of social economic classes getting along, of people of differences getting along, of no violence, of no, no selfishness, of love and grace, of future heaven on earth, the kingdom of God to come. That is what church is supposed to be. And I know even hearing this, you're like, well, church is not like that. <laughs> Most churches I've been are not like that. Our church is not like that. And you know, I probably would agree with you. I, I, I don't want to sweep aside the flaws. I don't want to say that we're living out this picture. I, I don't think we fully are. But my goal here is to encourage us by pointing us towards what the vision is supposed to be. What is it supposed to look like? Is it just people hanging out with each other that like each other? Or is this greater picture, this even theological weighty picture of this body who are supposed to represent the future heaven come to earth. So I want to talk a little bit about practicing this vision of community. And I just want to focus on one key attribute. I don't think it's the only attribute. I think it's a defining attribute. And I think it's also something that I think is very dear to us at Grace Life. It's actually part of our name. And it's grace. It's, it's the topic in the, what I think is a key underlying trait of a church that is able to practice this kind of thing. God's grace is being central to practicing this vision. When you look back at that passage of Ephesians I quoted about the temple of God, right? The previous verse actually talks about hostility. And in order to kind of talk about this idea of the temple of God, he talks about how hostility has been broken down, right? And he's talking specifically about Jews and Gentiles because that was probably the most divisive kind of fracture that was within the church. In the early church was this idea of the Jews and Gentiles. <clears throat> the Jews and the Gentiles did not get along. I mean, the Jews thought the Gentiles were dirty, were pagan, were just this lawless group of folks who had no regard for God, um, didn't care at all. They, they were repulsed by their pork eating <laughs> you know, repulsed by their drinking, repulsed by, you know, just who they were. They were just irritated by them. They're like, ugh, you know, that's kind of how the Jews were. And the Gentiles probably just thought the Jews were a bunch of uppity, like, you know, think we're better than everybody kind of group of people, which they probably were. <laughs> so they, they hated each other. They really did not like each other, which is why so much of the early kind of church, these letters address these kind of issues of these two groups of people having to get along. And here, in a, previously, he talks about Ephesians, he says, he himself, he's talking about Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. And he's using very visual language to describe, you know, the Jewish temple in Israel, where there's an actual wall separating the Gentile court from the Jewish courts. This is like one of the inscriptions that they found on one of those walls that says, hey, if you're a Gentile and you enter in, you're, you know, your death is on your own head. You know, like we, we didn't, don't say we didn't warn you. There was this sense of separation. There was a sense that only Jews can go into this place because they're holy and they're clean. And Gentiles, you, you guys need to stay out here. And that's what he's talking about, this dividing wall of hostility. And he talks about it by saying, this is very technical stuff. By abolishing the law of commandments, he's saying, you know, a lot of this unity was brought about by the removal of this old mosaic law that necessitated some of this separation, Right. Christ has removed those things. He's made it now one body. And, he, and it says, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. 
In Jesus now, there is this complete, Paul's trying to argue, complete melding together of every kind of people group, including the Jew and the Gentile group, which previously was probably the most separate um, group. And so I think about that too, right? About hostilities being broken down, about people of, who have very good reason perhaps to be hostile with each other, and of how Jesus says, no, <laughs> there's this greater, there's this peace that, it's, that we're all supposed to be a part of because of grace, because of Jesus. And looking back even further, I think when I look at it, I see the power behind the ability to remove these hostilities as grace. In Ephesians 2, very early on, he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with great Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is the famous gospel verse, right? This is the famous verse. And, and Paul goes back to our identities. By grace, you have been saved. What is the power, the motivation for being able to love people that honestly you might really hate or be hostile with or have all kinds of reasons not to get along with? Well, it's because by grace, you have been saved. Because you were shown grace when you did not deserve it. And so now that that now becomes the underlying factor, the motivation for you to show grace, to love people that frankly, you and your natural self would never do so. I want to define grace for us a little bit real quick, because I think grace is a word we throw around a lot. And grace, the best definition for it is simply unmerited favor, treating somebody better than they deserve, richly better than they deserve. God's grace was his unmerited favor he showed in the gospel when he, while we were sinners, while we hated him, God loved us and he gave his son to be our sacrifice so that we might have a relationship with him. And he raised us up and he made us children of God. We didn't deserve that at all while we were hating him. That is grace. That is the gospel. And what does grace look like when we practice that to each other? Well, it's treating people better than they deserve. It's treating people not because of how they treat you, not because of whether you like them or not, but treating people because of their identity, because they also are brothers and sisters of Christ, who Christ died for, and therefore grace is, I got to love you in that way because God is, because I got to treat you better than you deserve because God treated me better than I deserve. Grace, I think, is the underlying factor behind all churches that get somewhere close to this vision of heaven on earth. And I, I think a thing that I, when I look at Grace Life Church, I see it at times. <laughs> I know we struggle with it, but I do see it. I think this is one of the first places I came to that I found somewhat unconditional acceptance, where I found things like vulnerability, where I found, I think someone, I forgot, someone described it like as a breath of fresh air, you know, as like a place where in a world so full of judgment and so full of hatred and so full of performance, a place where we can un unconditionally know that we will be loved and we will love. That is, I think, a vision of what Grace Life, of what we're trying to pursue. Getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but I just wanna give us a little, ooh, those words are big. Just so, just a picture, you know, just to rehash a little bit how a gracious community looks so different from our modern American community. It's so different along these lines. Right? Grace enables us first, most crucial part, to move from judgment to acceptance. Our world is so judging, right? 
we're constantly evaluating other people by how good they are, by merits, by how much they deserve, whatever these things. The first thing is because we have been saved by grace, we don't judge other people, right? We choose to accept people. We move from judgment to acceptance. And moving from judgment to acceptance allows us as a church to move from performance to vulnerability. Michael talked about last week how vulnerability is the key to real connections. I love that. I totally agree with that. A key to real connections in church is vulnerability. And how do you have vulnerability? We have to have a church culture that doesn't perform. How do you have a church culture that doesn't perform? Because people accept each other unconditionally. They love and they show grace to each other even when they don't deserve it. That gives safety for us not to perform anymore. It gives safety for us to show our sins, to show our brokenness, to confront each other and have it go badly. <laughs> And to know that we still got to do this because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It leads to vulnerability instead of performance. And it leads com from complacency to int intentionality. Complacency is, I don't really care about people and I'm not really going to try. <laughs> intentionality is, you are my brother and sister in Christ. And I'm going to choose to love you because that is my calling. That is what I've received that I'm going to be. And finally, it moves from individualism to communalism, not communism, <laughs> communalism, very important, right? <laughs> Individual to communalism. It means that we stop seeing ourselves as just me, but we see ourselves as us, right? Where we start to take on this new kind of sense of our identity as no longer being separate individual people, you know, who just care about our own separate individual lives, you know, and how things are going for ourselves, we start to think of ourselves as we are us. How are we doing? And we start to put our identity in that. I think acceptance, vulnerability, intentionality, community, a communal, communalism are signs of a church that is really practicing this vision of heaven on earth. Um. I think I talked about this already, uh, but just to kind of <laughs> briefly rehash a little bit, I think this does, when going back to our mission statement, when we think about how does this practically look like, I want to give us a few things to think about. Well, we talked about encountering and responding to God, right? And so ultimately, going back to, again, encountering and responding to God in community, I think it comes down to these two movements in some ways. Encountering God's grace through the grace shown by others in community, and responding to God's grace by giving grace to others in our community. When we talk about encountering and responding to God, I think we think a lot about worship, we think a lot about devotions, about scripture reading, and certainly we 100% believe that's how you encounter and respond to God. But here at Grace Life, I think we also believe that we encounter God through the grace shown by each other, by vulnerability, by sharing, by being with each other and showing grace with each other, we encounter God's gospel. God's gospel becomes real through that. And we respond to God's grace by giving grace to others. As we have received, we give. Um, I'm just going to skip this. <laughs> I want to just give a, a quick picture of this today, of, of how, I was, how I encountered that, this, this, um, even just yesterday. Yesterday, as some of you guys know, I was moving and it was stressful because <laughs> it was like, you know, I think it was like two days before it was like somebody in our chat message like, 
hey, so it's snowing and there's gale force winds. Uh, you still want to move? <laughs> it's just like, ugh, like, this has to be the weekend, the weekend that we're like, we, we have no, we have so little margin of error. We got, we got to move this weekend, you know? And it was like, great, you know, winter, you know, unprecedented winter storm of this season hitting. Like, fantastic, you know? But I'm so thankful, you know, for my, you know, crew of friends of people, like, like there's town or some of us, you know, Jenny's brother came at one point, you know, and they just, they braved the 20 degree weather and semi-gale force winds to help us move all of our crap into this, this house that we bought recently. And, you know, there was like this one moment, I wish I took a better picture. This is a picture I took at 2 a.m. because I was working on it at 2 a.m. And this is just our house in its unfinished, unpacked place. I wish I took a picture of us doing an assembly line out my front door where everyone's just like suitcase and, you know, this and that. And, man, we got things done. Like, we were efficient, you know. And I just, it was just a picture to me of how I received grace, you know, of how I felt loved by my community, by all these people who showed up. You know, and he, some people didn't even like, you know, I didn't even ask them. They, they asked me, they're like, hey, you need help with moving? And I'm like, actually, yes. <laughs> you know, like Andrew was one of those guys who's just like, hey, you need some help, man? You need some extra manpower? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, probably actually. And it was good that Andrew came because I think we would have, we would die without him. Um, I'm just so thankful for that. And I, I feel like that's one of those kinds of cultures that I see in grace life, you know, not, not always, you know, but I, I do see that here. And I remember Alice talking about how her coworker was so floored by her, you know, people driving her to the airports um, or like, you know, going to Target and picking up things for each other. I think this is a picture of what we do and what we practice. And I think that's, that's who we want to be, right? Who we want to be. So I'm down to move. If anyone is moving as I have received grace, I will show grace as well. Lastly, I want to just briefly touch upon this idea of sharing the vision of community, you know, vision as heaven on earth, um, practicing it as grace, as being the central attribute of what that is. And finally, you know, it never stops within community. It's always outwardly shared, sharing the vision of community. And I want to just briefly touch upon this because we're going to have a whole sermon on being missional. But Christian community, again, when we go back to what it is, that it is a ragtag collection of people who are far from God, people who had no business belonging in the temple of God, people who are rough around their edges, who were far off from the Lord, who now, because of the blood of Christ, were brought near. Church community cannot stay closed. Church community cannot stay closed. Because at one point, all of us were invited in. Every single person here, even if you grew up in the church, at one point, you were invited in, and at point, 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 you are far off. Christian community, I think, knows no sense of the in and the outs and the sense of, oh, it's just us, and this is the really in-group, and then you better, you know, you have to work your way in. Christian community, by definition, is open, is inv inviting of the far off, is constantly composed of people who are far off, who are together, meeting together, and learning this picture of heaven on earth together. Christian community is attractive. And I think this is a huge part of it, is that um, when we go back and look at this passage that we've been looking at, Michael shared about last time, you know, having favor with all the people, I'm not going to read the whole thing, the Lord added to their number day by day to those who are being saved. When we look at the picture of 
Christian community being this heaven on earth, when it fully was functioning in this way where people were just giving grace and doing all these things, it was attractive, right? It was this place where people were just like, yo, can I join? That, that looks pretty awesome what you guys got going over there. It was not supposed to be this thing, you know, where it's like, you're like, you know, I don't know, like begging or dragging people into something, but something that naturally overflowed, that naturally invited and attracted those around them. I think as we think about moving forward with being missional, we can't lose sight of the fact that we just pursue missions and forget about how we practice community. We have to think about the fact that when we're inviting people to faith, we're inviting them to find a home in this church as well. And if this church is not practicing grace, if this church is a place of disunity, of a place where we just have our own separate identities and we don't care, we will never be able to do much outreach. We'll never be able to do much mission because whenever you invite somebody into that, they're going to be like, what is this? <laughs> they're just going to leave. And that's, that's why I think a lot of times, I think for us, as we move forward with missions, I think it's so important for us to also realize and to know that it starts with our community. It starts with how we love one another here. We cannot just hate each other here and be hypocritical and then try to welcome people and try to love people who are not part of this, right? Inviting people means that there is something to invite them to. It means that there is something good that we want people to join in. So I want to end with just, you know, an encouragement for us as we pursue missional community groups in both Elkridge and Stepping Stone. I think we're both trying to do the same things this semester. How can we live out the vision of Christian community as a preview of heaven? How can that be kind of our idea of this is what we want our community groups to be like? A picture of heaven that somebody comes and they're just like, whoa, this is different. This is really interesting. <laughs> How can we have grace be the underlying motivation behavior that we practice in our community groups? And how can we share that vision openly and invite and attract others to see that? Let's pray. Father God, um, God, I just thank you for the joy and the privilege to be a part of your body as broken and as sinful as we are, God. I do believe that we have your Holy Spirit. I do believe that your presence is with us. And I do believe that you want to take us so much more than just the conventional idea of a church. God, you really want I believe that you want Grace Life Church to be a place overflowing with grace where people can come in and join and be a part of it and see a glimpse, perhaps a very imperfect glimpse, but a glimpse of heaven on earth. God, let that be our vision for our church as we move forward, as we talk about doing community groups as we lord as we as we head into the spring season lord i pray that each and every member of our church would pursue that vision together i pray that it would be something that we all join in together that we all use our giftings to be a part of 
And Lord, I pray. I mean, I know that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. God, this can't happen without you. And so we look to you, Lord. We look to your, first and foremost, to your grace, God. To your love, to your power. We rely on you and we look to you, Lord, to give us that heart. To renew our hearts if they're kind of crusty and they're kind of discouraged and cynical. To renew our hearts again. To have that faith to pursue this kind of community. Lord, as we just sang earlier this service, God, as we prayed for the spirit to come, to fall afresh on us, to wake us from our sleep, Lord. I pray for that over us, over myself, over everyone sitting in this room, over everyone online. God, I just pray that you would fall afresh on us. Help us to see a little bit of that this semester, God. In Jesus' name we pray.